Well, good morning to you. Uh, my name is Daniel Renstrom. I'm the, the worship pastor here at Brook Hills. You know, if you were here last night, maybe you came to Trunk or Treat, and then you came this morning here for our worship gathering, you came at a really great time because we're at the beginning of a sermon series looking at our emotions. It's called Feel, uh, All the Feels, Bringing Our Emotions to God. And today we're in Psalm 73, so you can go ahead and scroll to, type to, turn to Psalm 73, and we're looking at envy from Psalm 73. Now, I know that there's maybe a chance that some of you have thought about this sermon series, or I think in week three or four, and you have thought, do we really need this many sermons about our emotions? Do I really need to think about my emotions this much? So to help you figure out if you could use help for what the Bible says about your emotions in the realm of emotions, I put a little quiz together, okay? Now you don't have to raise your hand, but you're answering before the Lord, so just remember that. All right, here we go. <laughs> Question number one, here we go. I respond in an emotionally healthy way on Saturday night when my team loses. All right, I'm gonna keep going, here we go. No hands. Uh, 280 traffic is a wonderful chance for me to die to my preference of being on time to anything, <laughs> ever. All right, number three, here we go. I have never yelled at the refs at my kids' games. <laughs> I saw him, there we go. Somebody's honest, here we go. Kids, this one's for you, all right, kids. I have never responded by crying when my parents tell me that screen time is over. Some of you adults need to raise your hand for that one as well. All right, last one. I have never thought in a moment of envy, how come they never gain any weight when all they eat are Doritos and corn dogs? I've never had that thought. You know, many of us think that when it comes to emotions, that we have one of two options. Either we believe that the Bible's gonna slap us on our wrists for having emotions as if it's a sign of weakness. Like strong people are stoic and emotionless. Or you might believe in the sovereignty of your emotions, right? It's kind of like the sail on the boat of your life. And it's gonna just take you. You have to obey it, like Pastor Matt said a few weeks ago. They have to be obeyed because they're gonna take you where you need to go. And friends, this is the blessing of the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms tells us, gives us another way to process our emotions. And this is the first kind of heading here. It's that the book of, uh, the book of Psalms has a broad emotional bandwidth. It's not narrow. It's a broad emotional bandwidth. And so the book of Psalms tells us to bring our emotions to God so that faith can direct them not restrain them. Faith is going to direct our emotions where they should go, not restrain them. And one of the most helpful places to see that idea in action is Psalm 73. And we get to listen in as Asaph works through his, the envy in his heart, his envy problem. You know, for the most part, we don't like to admit our envy, do we? Envy is kind of gross, right? It's petty. When you're a kid, you don't have a problem crying because your friend has the toy that you want. But as you grow up, you realize my public crying over envy is weird. I need to stop it, all right? 
I'm not gonna have any friends if I keep doing this. So it might not be on the outside as much, but it's probably still on the inside. And it might be that you're just managing your envy at this point and you haven't worked on it, dealt with it, put it away. And so that's why if you, you're like me, many of us are, we need to listen to what Psalm 73 says to us today. Help us work through this issue. So let's look at what happened with Asaph in this psalm. We're going to start in verse 1, go through verse 4 there. It says this, God is indeed good to Israel, to the pure in heart, but as for me, my feet almost slipped. My steps nearly went astray, for I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have an easy time until they die, and their bodies are well fed. You know, we don't know a lot about Asaph, but what we do know is that he was in charge of the worship for the temple. And isn't it just wonderful that the Bible doesn't sanitize situations like this, right? Like this is the leader of the worship of the temple, and he is saying, I'm having a full-on crisis of faith. I'm almost slipping, I'm almost walking away, and here's why. Look at what he says. When he looks at how the world really operates, it doesn't match how he thought the Lord should run the world. Let me say that again. As he looks out at how the world really operates, it doesn't match how he thinks the world, the Lord should run the world. I mean, think about what he says in verse one. Go back there just for a moment. God is indeed good to Israel. He's good to the pure in heart. He might have even known what David says in Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. So if those verses are true, he's saying, shouldn't good people have a good life? If those verses are true, shouldn't that be happening? But as he scans the world, what he sees is that it's the wicked who are getting ahead. The wicked have more than the righteous. The arrogant have figured out how to cheat the system. And right up until the moment they die, things are easy, life is good. And you can already feel this envious simmer starting to turn up in Asif, can't you? It's already starting to turn up. Look at what it says in verse six now. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with fatness. The imaginations of their heart run wild. They mock and they speak maliciously. They arrogantly threaten oppression. Now, I asked my wife, Danielle, to marry me on October 26, 2001. That was 20 years ago this past week. And that day, I didn't give her a necklace. Oh yeah, I guess you can think. Wow. Did not expect that. Thank you very much. All right. That day, I didn't give her a necklace, but I gave her a ring. And, and to my knowledge, she has not taken that ring off in the 20 years that we have been married because what it symbolizes and what it is are beautiful to her. She's honored by wearing it. But think about this. Think about the jewelry that the wicked are wearing. Look at what it says there. The jewelry that the wicked are wearing, it's, it says that they have pride as their necklace. Violence is their garment. What should bring them shame, they're wearing as honor, and they're inviting people to admire their wickedness. And what's so sad is this, that it's working. 
Asaph looks at it and it's working. He's, he's envious of what they have. He says, I want that. Let's keep going. Verse 9, they set their mouths against heaven and their tongues strut across the earth. Therefore, his people turn to them and drink in their overflowing words. It's working with the people too. They're all turning to them. In verse 11, the wicked say, how can God know? Does the Most High know everything? You know, when I was a kid, my mom would often tell my brother and I about a prayer that she would pray for us. You, you might have prayed something like this too for, for your kiddos. She would say that th this prayer went something like this. I pray that when you do something wrong, that you're caught immediately, okay? Now, I will tell you this. It still stings a little that she said when, not if, right, okay? But what, what was the point of that prayer? The point of the prayer is that it's, uh, the only thing worse than doing something wrong is not getting caught and thinking that you can do it again with no consequences. And that's exactly what's happening here. They've been prideful, they've been violent, they're abusing their power by crushing people, and they're getting away with it. It seems the world seems to bend when they push against it, and because of that, their tongues, it says this, did you see it? it they strut across the earth. If, if you have a question, they've got an answer. <laughs> they know everything, and their most arrogant pronouncement comes in verse 11. Look back at your Bible, verse 11. What do they say there? God doesn't see. God doesn't know. It's another way of saying there is no God, or if there is a God, he's pretty weak. He can't do anything about this. And so if you put yourself in Asaph's shoes, you can understand that when we get to verse 13, his envy is at a full boil at this point. Look at what it says in verse 13. Did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? You know, if there is a statement that we might want to scrub from the pages of Psalm 73, it would be this one. Does he really mean what he just said? What did he say? He said, I've been trying to live righteously. I tried to have pure heart. I tried to live with integrity, but it seems like it was for nothing because it's not working. This isn't working. I wonder if you can relate to that kind of faith crisis inside the heart of Asaph. Like, have you ever had maybe one of these thoughts? I'm the only one who didn't cheat in class, and now I can't get into the school that I want to. I'm the only one who didn't lie on my reports, and now I'm getting passed over for the job promotion. I committed to only dating high character guys, but now all of my friends are getting married and I'm still single. My high school friends couldn't care less about raising kids to love the Lord, but now they all have kids and we can't. I, I committed to financially supporting the church, supporting missions, but now all of my friends, all of our friends, they have money for vacations and early retirement. And we can't do either of those things. You know, some of us 
have been right where Asaph is in verse 13. This isn't working. Faith isn't working. Church isn't working. Christianity isn't working. And the anger towards God in our heart, and our envy, it reveals something, right? It reveals something in our heart and it reveals this, that something other than God really had our heart all along. Something other than God was really what we treasured. Yes, I'll go to church. (laughs) Yes, I'll give my money and my time. Yes, I won't cheat, smoke, and swear, right? But only if, only if you give me that car and those clothes and her figure and that vacation and that job, only if you give me her hair, only if you give me their bank account, only if you give me their spouse, only if you give me their kids. You know, if we go back now and read Asaph's words in verse one, just go right back up there, verse one, God is indeed good to Israel. It seems like what he really means in that moment is God does good to the faithful. Not he is good to the faithful. You know, there's a world of difference between those two things. And friends, here's what I hope that we see today as we keep going. Asaph's envy problem was really a worship problem. Asaph's envy problem was really a worship problem. And that's why this today can't be a self-help sermon, right? You know, if you think about it, if our deepest problem is envy, then I could maybe give you a few self-help things to kind of help you distract yourself from your envy. (laughs) But if our deepest problem is worship, then we have to go to God to help us untangle this knot, right? So let's keep seeing what the word says. It takes us to our next point, corrected by faith, seeing beyond what he could see. Corrected by faith, seeing beyond what he could see. I want us to just go to uh, verse 17. Actually, if, we, if you think about it, verse 17 is going to be a little bit like a, a thunderbolt going through this passage. But we're, to get a, a running start into verse 17, I want us to start in 16, and, and I'm going to start reading there. It says this, when I tried to understand all these things, it seemed helpless. It seemed, I, it seemed hopeless. Until, verse 17, I entered God's sanctuary. Then I understood their destiny. Indeed, you put them in slippery places. You make them fall into ruin. How suddenly they become a desolation. They come to an end, swept away by terrors. Like one waking from a dream, Lord, when arising, you will despise their image. A couple things I want us to notice about uh, this section of verses. First of all, did you notice what Asaph did with this issue. He he didn't keep it on the inside, right? What did he do? He took it to the Lord. And we said at the very beginning here that this is what the Bible teaches us, to bring our emotions to God so that faith can what? Faith can direct our emotions, not, not restrain them. And so when Asaph does that in verse 17, what does he say? Something wonderful happens. He entered God's sanctuary and he understood their destiny. Now, if you're the kind of person that underlines your Bible, you might want to underline verse 17. That's one of the most helpful verses in this passage. 
And what he sees, he sees two really important things when he comes to the sanctuary. First, he saw the destiny of the wicked, that they lived with complete confidence in their health and their wealth and in their wisdom. But you know, none of it was permanent. None of it made them immovable. And, and even worse than that, on earth, they valued everything other than God. So in judgment, God is gonna be giving them exactly what they wanted all along, life without, without him eternally in hell. And one writer said, it's like watching the wicked boarding the Titanic. There, there's a few fun evenings ahead for them, but it's all going down really soon. And look at what it says in, in verse 20. Their end is like the end of a dream. You know, our dreams can sometimes feel so real. They, they feel so concrete, so solid. But then when the end of the dream comes, uh, we, we wake up and we realize no, none of it was real. A, a few weeks ago, Elijah Gibson texted me and he said that he had a dream about me. And, and, and in his dream, I had a full head of dreadlocks. <laughs> this beautiful mane of hair. And uh, my immediate response to him was, I am praying that that was a prophetic dream. <laughs> Dear Lord, let it be. Uh, but guess what? It wasn't. <laughs> when the dream was over, my hair was gone. <laughs> and friends, that is the experience of the wicked. That's the experience of everyone who puts their hope in themselves and their things. They will suddenly, more quickly than they realize, be swept away. And think about this. Did, you, did Asaph ever actually see the wicked swept away? Did he ever see them in ruin with his eyes? Did he ever see them suddenly become a desolation? No, he didn't. You know, the only way that he saw that was through eyes of faith. He believed that what God said is true. And just like Asaph, coming to the Lord, this is for us, coming to the Lord will strengthen our eyes of faith. Coming to the Lord will strengthen our eyes of faith. Like it says in Hebrews, it's a conviction of things not seen. We, we see things that we can't really see right now physically as if they're real. When we come to the Lord. And I want us to think about one other reason that this text gives us for why we need eyes of faith. Go back in, in your Bible. Look at verse 12 for a moment. Verse 12 says this, the wicked are always at ease and they increase their wealth. You know, just think about this. The wicked have everything they could ever want, right? And that means that they never really need God for anything on earth. But then think about what Asaph says in verse 14. Go back to your Bible for a minute. Look at what he says. He says, I'm afflicted all day long, punished every morning. Asaph is saying the righteous are forever in want. They're always needy. The righteous always have to go to God for help. Friends, eyes of faith help us see that it could be the active judgment of God to give someone everything that they want because they will never need him. And also think about this. 
Eyes of faith help us see that it could be the hidden blessing of God, the hidden kindness of God to keep you from having everything that you want so that your hands aren't so full of stuff keeping you from reaching out to the Lord. Which is, I think, a wonderful diagnostic question for all of us today. Just kind of think about this here for just a moment. Do you despise the Lord because you often have to go to him for what you need? Or do you rarely have to go to him for anything because you have everything that you could ever want? Friends, eyes of faith help us see that it's good for us to need him. It's good for us to need God. You know, this takes us to our last point, comforted by faith, changing what he treasured. Comforted by faith, changing what he treasured. These next verses are some of the most beautiful, precious verses in our Bible that have ever been prayed to God. I'm gonna start in verse 23. It says this, yet I am always with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterwards you will take me up in glory. Who do I have in heaven but you and I desire nothing on earth but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. Those far from you will certainly perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you, but as for me, God's presence is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge so that I can tell about all you do. You know, I said a moment ago that Asaph didn't just have an envy problem, he had a worship problem, and we see how true that is when we look at these verses. You know, he doesn't pray, God help me not love money. God help me not love that car or that iPhone, even though he probably wasn't talking about iPhones. You know, he, God help me not love that stuff. No, what happens is his treasure changed, right? His, a superior treasure took the place of a little treasure. You know, our family recently bought a, a, a new car or an, a new-to-us car, and after we got it home a couple days later, I noticed that there was this big, this big uh, scratch in the hood of our, of our new car, and, uh, and I thought, I went out there and I thought, man, you know what? I'm really thankful for this car, um, but I would be really, really thankful if I had a new car with no scratches on it, right? <laughs> Friends, that's kind of the cycle of envy that happens in all of our hearts until, as one writer put it, the thing that we desire most deeply can't be outdone. Until the thing that we desire most deeply can't be outdone. You can always find a better job and a better car, and better clothes, and a better 401k, but you won't ever find a better savior. And that's what Asaph saw here. That's what Asaph is saying here. He's saying, nothing compares to you, Lord. The treasure-changing thing that happened in his heart is that his calculation of worth was transformed. That's our next fill-in. His calculation of worth was transformed. You know, the world of envy is the world of value ranking. It's the world of value ranking. And, and that's really what Asaph was doing at the beginning of this psalm, wasn't it? At, at one point, he might have even been tempted to say in his journey, 
Well, he's looking at verse 20, 23. Go ahead and look at that. He's looking at verse 23, and, he, and it says, the Lord says to him, I will always be with you. I will hold your right hand. And he might have been thinking there, wah, wah. <laughs> Is that it? C- couldn't I have a, a little bit of money plus you? <laughs> couldn't I have a little bit more health plus you? You know, he's sizing up what he's got and he's sizing up what they have and he's, he's feeling like it's a pretty sad comparison in that moment. You know, in the fall of 2000, you might know this story. In the fall of 2000, Netflix approached Blockbuster and asked them for a meeting because they were asking them if they would buy them for $50 million. Netflix asked Blockbuster to buy them for $50 million. Now, Blockbuster, for all of you who are under 30, (laughs) is a place that some of us used to go to rent physical movies, okay? You You could go to your Blockbuster and you could get a VHS or a DVD, And if you don't know what a VHS or DVD is, ask people that still mail letters, they'll be able to tell you exactly what those two things are, all right? Now, Blockbuster had the corner on the market of the movie rental business. There was nobody bigger than them. They had brick and mortar stores all over the place. They were worth $5 billion at the time of this meeting in 2000, $5 billion. So Netflix came along and they said, listen, if you will buy us, we'll take care of all of your online rentals and you can take care of all of the physical rentals. But Blockbuster regrettably said no. And here's why. Here's why it was regrettable. (laughs) What Netflix saw and Blockbuster didn't, is that the world was about to radically change, right? Somehow they saw that the world of streaming was coming, and just 10 years later, Blockbuster would have to uh, file for bankruptcy. And then 20 years later, right now, I'm having to explain to a room full of people what a Blockbuster is, all right? (laughs) Today, actually, this past week, Netflix was uh, valued. They had a net worth of over $290 billion. Now listen, the people at Blockbuster who were making those decisions, what did they do? They way overestimated their future worth, right? And they way underestimated what Netflix could be one day. You know, envy in our hearts can lead us to some pretty disastrous miscalculations too. And just go back for a moment. Go back to verse 23. Verse 23, you might be tempted to potentially brush off what we just read in verse 23. Yet I am always with you. The Lord's saying that to us. You, he, he holds our, our right hand. Christian, think about what that really means though. That peace with God is forever yours. It's never gonna be in question. Like we sang this morning, his goodness, his mercy is always gonna run after you. There's never gonna be a time in your life when you have to question, am I walking through this alone? Think about what happened in verse 18. It says in verse 18 that the, that the envious, or I'm sorry, that the, the wicked are put by the Lord in uh, slippery places. He lets them fall 
But in verse two, Asaph could say, I almost fell, but I didn't. Why? Because the Lord held him. The Lord was with him. It says this in, in John chapter 10. This is such a wonderful thing for us to hold on to. Listen to what it says. My sheep, this is Jesus speaking, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Look at what it says in verse 24. The Lord guides you with his counsel. You know, the wicked might jump on the Titanic, but the Lord's never going to lead you there, Christian. The Lord's never going to duck out after he's set a table before you in the presence of your enemy. And you know, when, when you get to the age in your life when you constantly feel the truth of verse 26, my flesh and my heart fail, you have a God who promises to be your strength. A God that promises that into eternity, he will forever be your portion. Here's what I hope we see this morning from this psalm. That envy can cause us to overvalue the insignificant and undervalue the important. Envy can cause all of us to overvalue the insignificant and undervalue the, the really important, the important. You know, but thankfully, verse 28 shows us how deeply, how a deep transformation of treasuring Christ can happen by God's grace in all of us. And how we can all turn from making things our refuge to making God our refuge. And you probably noticed that the word good is used at the, in the beginning and at the end of this psalm. Go back to verse one. He says there, God is indeed good to Israel and then if you jump to verse 28, he says, God's presence is my good. Did you see that there? But between verses 1 and 28, what Asaph means by good changes radically, doesn't it? It's, there's a massive difference between what he means by verse 1 and then 28. Between those verses, one commentator I read this past week said this. Between those verse, verses, Asaph realized that divine goodness isn't prosperity its presence. Between those verses, he realized that divine goodness isn't prosperity, it's his presence. So what led to that wonderful change in his heart? Well, friends, it was worship. Think about what it says in, in verse 17. Remember, it says, until I entered God's sanctuary. It was God's presence and God's people when he came there that brought this type of change in his life. Now, now you know, you and I don't have a designated place where we have to go and meet with God now. You know, praise the Lord. We don't have a place. We have a person. And that means that anywhere can be a sanctuary. Anywhere can be a place for us to meet with the living God. But remember, God doesn't just give us his presence. He also gives us his people. We have a faith family. And that means that when we gather, God helps you and God helps others through you weaken the grip of sin in their lives and strengthen love for, for God. And friends, I, I want to encourage all of us today to not cast aside, not set aside the two graces that we see here, going to God and meeting with God's people. 
And if you think about it, this is really the heart of the gospel, isn't it? That apart from Christ, none of us would have looked at God as our good. None of us would look at God and see God as treasure. But listen to what it says in 1 Peter chapter 3. It's going to be up on the screen. It says this, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God. Friends, that's the heart of the gospel. That God did for us and Christ did for us what we would have never done on our own. Christ died in our place so that sin would not be our treasure, but that Christ would be forever. And that's what happens at the cross. We sang about it this morning. And if you're, you're, you're not a Christian this morning, I just want to encourage you right now. Think about what we read in, in verse 27. Our text could not be more clear. Those far from you will perish. Those far from God will perish. So listen to the word. Listen to what the word says and turn to the only one who can save. And turn to him for salvation from our little lives of envy right now and salvation for eternity with him. 